I invite you to turn in your scriptures to the same passage that we looked at this morning in Genesis chapter 28. We'll pick up some other teachings from that as we look once again at the concept and the teaching of the scriptures on discipleship. We're going to be picking up the reading at verse 10 of chapter 28. If you're following along in your pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 27 in the back of the pew Bible. The word of the Lord. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will, shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. And then let's turn over to John chapter 1. This morning we read from verses 35 to 42. Now we're going to pick up the reading at verse 43. John chapter 1. You'll find that on page 1054 in the back of your, or in your pew Bibles. John chapter 1. Picking up the reading at verse 43. We have already seen how Jesus has called two of his disciples after John the Baptist prepared the way, Andrew and Peter. And now we read about two more disciples that, are, that respond to the call of the gospel. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from, was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, 
Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we look at this whole concept of discipleship, if we do as the command of God is in creating disciples, we can't help but realize that as one disciple is called and becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ and calls another and challenges another to follow and that disciple follows to yet call for another disciple to be made. It serves in many ways as links in a chain. Now, my wife and I, when we first were called into the ministry and I graduated from the seminary, we thought about this and reflected on this very much and we saw that that there indeed is a, a golden chain, not just the golden chain of salvation that we read about in Romans, but the chain of relationships that takes place from one to the next to the next to the next. And how important that is for us to be able to see as we reflect on that in our own lives. We've been looking at disciples. We met this morning in the Verses prior to what we just read, Andrew and Peter. John had already, the Baptist, John the Baptist had already made a commitment to do that which God had called him to do in preparing the way and announcing the coming of Jesus Christ. And now we come to verses 30, 43 to 51 here in which we have two more disciples who are called by Jesus and follow him as well, Philip and Nathaniel. And this group of disciples grows as we go through the Gospels and as we go through the ministry of Jesus Christ to a group of 12 disciples that follow him for three years of his public ministry. And as we see this then, we begin to understand that the link that this has with the dream that we have been referring to in Genesis chapter 28 is a link that is seen especially in that final verse that we read just a moment ago. Because Genesis 28 tells us, we read about this ladder that is in the dream between earth and heaven, angels descending on it. Well, this is now brought to a little bit more clearer focus, as we'll see in this message. 
as we see that John in his last verse there that we read says in verse 51, truly, truly, Jesus says to Nathanael, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on not a ladder now, though that ladder points towards this one who is the son of man. So we see the connection between the event of the dream of Jacob and, and the coming and the ministry of Jesus Christ. When we see this, I want to look at three things this afternoon with you. First of all, we want to look at this son of man who is that ladder. He is the mediator between God's disciples here on earth and God himself. He's the mediator. We, secondly, are the children. We are those who experience the blessings of that work of mediation that Jesus Christ does. And then we will see that Jesus' ministry in the early chapters of gospel, the Gospel of John and the first years of his ministry continues on today, even though he was raised up and then ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the throne of God. His ministry from there as the great ruler of the nations continues on. And we are called upon as the disciples of Jesus Christ to follow his lead in the midst of that. Jesus, our mediator, first of all. We read in Genesis 28 verse 12, just to make that connection. And he, that is Jacob, dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up in the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This ladder is resting on the earth on the bottom, and the top reaches to the heaven where God lives, and the angels are going back and forth in the dream that we have before us. This ladder might be understood or this stairway or this bridge, as you might think, could be considered as, as a bridge that we would think about today. Think about the Blue Water Bridge, firmly planted on the side of Sarnia, firmly planted on the other side in Port Huron, and firmly planted in such a way so that much heavy traffic can go on it. And this is that connection that, that we see happening as Jesus Christ is seen to be that bridge, that ladder, that stairway, that connector, that connector between earth and heaven. That mediator that becomes the mediator spe specifically because he is the Son of God both man and God. We saw that in the confession of our faith. Actually, when we think that through, then we begin to understand how every point of doctrine expressed in the Apostles' Creed creates an excitement within us because of what it really means. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, divine, he was God. He is God. Born of the Virgin Mary, he became a man, one of us. 
only one who has the privilege of being called God and man can be the mediator for us. We learn that from our teachings of the scriptures through the catechism as well. Jesus is that person connected with us. The one whom we have the privilege to follow. Now Jacob saw these angels in his dream. But angels were not a strange thing around that time because Abraham and Sarai, they also had the experience of three visitors that came from God, three angels that came from God. So surely when Jacob had an opportunity to talk to his grandpa, Abraham, about this, Abraham would have said, yes, I'm not surprised that you would dream about angels. I've experienced angels too in our life. And then we come to the Gospel of John and the calling of the disciples. It becomes more clear to us then. Andrew and Peter have already been following what we read from earlier today, this morning. Now we have a third disciple, first Peter, uh, Philip rather. And the invitation to him is very simple, very concrete. The same invitation that comes concrete and simple to us. Follow me. Jesus simply says to him, follow me. No fancy words around that. Just right down to the heart of the matter of discipleship. It just simply means to follow Christ. Volumes of words have been written in articles, in books, reams of pages about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Many of them very good words. But it's not that complicated. It just simply means to follow Christ. Jesus' call comes to Philip simply as that. Follow me. To become a disciple, that's all it takes. Philip shares the same enthusiasm that Andrew shared as we looked at that this morning. Andrew, when he found out about it, just simply had to tell, his, tell Peter about this and, and call Peter to become a disciple. Challenge him to respond to the call of the gospel. Here Philip, we read, does the same. He says to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verse 45 of our text, we have found him, that is Jesus, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Notice that when Philip identifies Jesus, he identifies him as being God, the one who had been promised from the Old Testament, the Old, Prof, the Old Testament prophets, is now found here in this person that, that, that we have found. This is Jesus, God. But he's also the son of Joseph, of Nazareth. Nathaniel is kind of curious about this because what is Nazareth? I mean, it's just a small town. Big things come out of Jerusalem. Big things come out of all the other cities. Men come out of Rome and other cities that are around in, in Asia Minor at that time and all the big capital cities. But Nazareth? The humble beginning of Jesus Christ comes through as Jesus is born in a very simple place 
or comes from a simple place, born in a simple place called the manger. And we see this as being important for us because not only is he the son of God, but he's also one of us and he experiences what you and I are going through. We are called to be disciples of one who understands our plight. He has experienced the sufferings, experienced more suffering than any of us would ever experience. His disciples at one point have left him completely, just totally walked away from him, just not really understanding what was going on just before he goes to the cross. He's scourged through no fault of his own, but through the fault of you and me, the sins that you and I have committed. We are called upon to be faithful disciples in that way. To be a faithful disciple means being a follower of Jesus Christ in different phases and different aspects of our life. We talk in circles of teachers about the three areas of learning that are part of our lives. Well, these three areas of learning are also the three areas of discipleship that needs to be formed within us as we are called to be disciples. There's first the area, what we call the cognitive area, knowledge, simply spoken knowledge, knowing who Jesus Christ is, reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures in your families with your children as we have been doing over the past two years with memory verses for each week of the year for us to be memorizing and remembering. We do that in our ministries that we have and the kingdom seekers and the cadets as well. Memorization, knowing the word of God, knowing about who Jesus Christ is, important. But that's not all that there is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It also means that we have to have this impact our lives. The affective, if you want the technical term for it, part of our lives basically means the character. What we know needs to affect our character, who we are, how we do things, our attitude toward life. Those who are around us are watching that. How do you respond, they will see, they will ask. How do you respond to this kind of situation going on in your life? When you see this happening, what, do you, what is your response? How do you respond to someone who is, who is antagonistic towards you? How do you respond? What is your temperament in the midst of all of this? What we know about God has to affect who we are as a person. And the third area is the psychomotor. If you want the technical term for that, that's not good enough though, is it? It's the what you do how it affects what you do every day of your life, your actions. What we know settles into what we are convicted of and what we become, but that has an impact on how we live our day-to-day -day life. This is the testimony that others will see. Being a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ involves, yes, speaking about Christ, talking about him, telling others who Jesus Christ is verbally, but it also means to live the life of a Christian so that others will see and be able to model themselves after someone whom they know claims to be a Christian and will be able to follow that. But we need to be faithful with that. It needs to impact not only our knowledge, not only who we are, but the way that we live our lives. That's where the rubber hits the road. 
And that's what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. We are children of Jesus Christ. And that comes through to us as we look at Jacob and his dream once again. Look at verse 13 and 14 of Genesis 28. I know you have to sort of flip back if you have your Bibles open between those two passages. That's okay. But there we read, and behold, the Lord stood above it, that is, above the ladder. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What God had promised to Abraham in his covenant promise when he said, I will be your God. And when Abraham responded, we will be your people. What God promised to him, Genesis 15 verse 5, if you want to look that up. Jacob was now told that would be transmitted to his sons. And he is called upon to pass this along to his sons. Well, how could this be? It was hope against hope. I mean, Jacob was fleeing for his life. Esau was running after him to to kill him. How could it be that these promises would be fulfilled through his children if he himself was going to be killed and he had not yet had a family? He has not yet arrived by Laban and married and had his children. But what was not possible for Jacob was made possible through Jesus Christ. He eventually did have children and his children's children, but not only those who were a part of the seed of Jacob, the Jews, but we know that as we go into, especially into the New Testament period, in the Old Testament, there were those who were not Jews who also came to Christ. Several examples of that, but especially in the New Testament, those who were Gentiles, that would be you and me, who are not of the Jewish race, also come to faith and follow Jesus Christ and his references also to those who are part of the seed of Jacob coming to know who Jesus Christ is through the gospel that is called that they are called to verse 14b in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed the only source of hope in the world comes as a promise to Jacob Fulfilled in the genealogy of the Jewish race, no doubt, yes. But beyond that to those who are non-Jewish as well. That's what the work of missions is all about. Getting the word out to all nations around our world today. When Philip and Nathaniel grabbed on to that understanding in their life, They also began to understand, and as we begin to understand, that it is at the difficult moments of life that the gospel of Jesus Christ shines through, that the promise comes through. It sometimes seems that when the reminder of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the scripture comes, it comes especially at those times when the days are rather dark for us in our lives. Difficult times. Think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden expelled from the garden because of sin 
And yet, Genesis 3, verse 15 presents that first glimmer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the promise of Jesus Christ coming in the midst of that situation. Think about Job, who lost, was a rich man, but lost everything. Lost his cattle, lost his children, lost his family, lost all his possessions. And in the midst of that, God brings him a message of hope. In these kinds of times, and now with Jacob, Jacob is in, under stress. When Israel was in captivity in Babylon and Assyria, at two different stages of the history of, of Israel in 700s and later on in, in the 600s, those difficult times were times when the gospel of Jesus Christ especially drives its mark home to us, to God's people then. And when we go through difficult times in our lives, that is exactly the time in which we can grasp the promises of the gospel and be able to be reminded that God says that we are his children and he will provide for us. Doesn't always take those difficult times away from us, but he walks us, takes us by the hand and walks us through those difficult challenges in our lives. Nathaniel is quite surprised that Jesus calls him and especially when Jesus said, I knew you, Jesus says to Nathaniel, verse 48, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Because Nathaniel said, well, how, how do you know who I am? You saw me under the fig tree. If you saw me under the fig tree, I know that you were not there physically, but you must know all things. You Then comes his confession. In verse 49, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That profession of faith is the profession of faith that God is looking for in all of his disciples, in all of you and me. Looking for us to be able to say, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And not only of Israel, but of all the nations. You are the Lord of my life. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means more than recognizing that Jesus Christ is the one who saved me from my sins. Yeah, too. That's important. But it's not enough for us to recognize that. It's important for us to recognize that he is the one whom we follow. Come, follow me, says Jesus. I am not only your savior. I am that. That's important. But I am your Lord. I am the one that you are called upon to follow every day of your life. We begin to see this then. Jesus, our mediator, we are his children. But who is Jesus to us today? When we think about Jacob and the message of Jesus Christ, we can't help but wonder, Jesus was the one who taught the last shall be first. Well, if we know the story, as we refer to that about Jacob and Esau, Jacob was not the first. He was the second to be born, and yet he received the blessing. Jacob lived that out. The least shall be the greatest, said Jesus. That was a part of his teaching. Jacob was the lesser, lesser of the two of them, and yet he was the one who, through whom the promised Christ child was to come. The older shall serve the younger. Well, we see that specifically in the story of Jacob and Esau. 
through that, it's a divine intervention that takes place in the life of Jacob. And it is that same divine intervention that comes through in the person of Jesus Christ. He is that divine intervention in your life and in my life and the life of disciples of Jesus Christ today. Jesus entered this world with divine class and he left with divine class. When he left this earth after he was raised 40 days later, he left with divine class by simply a cloud coming down, enveloping him, and the cloud going up, and Jesus was no more. He was raised into the heavens to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty at, the, at his right hand. But think about the divine class with which Jesus was born. We talk about the virgin birth. Because there is no human interception at the birth of Jesus Christ, as you and I would know it today. But I suppose that if we think about our technology today, with all of the inroads of pregnancy implantations and in vitro fertilization, we could imagine, perhaps, that, some, that a pregnancy could occur without intercourse taking place. We could imagine that. But can you imagine having the conception of a child take place in a way that is an immaculate conception like this one by God's Holy Spirit? What is most amazing about the birth of Jesus Christ is that he was conceived not by Joseph or any other man. He was conceived by God. That is the miracle of the birth of Jesus Christ and continues to be today. People are amazed when they hear about that. They say it's not possible. It's true. Humanly speaking, not possible. But with God and the way he works, it is possible. And that's the encouragement that we receive as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we are called upon to teach our children that very thing. Training in discipleship takes place in different ways. I'd like to point out three different ways in which that kind of a training may take place. We think about formal training, and that happens in our schools as we teach our children the various subject matters. And as a part of those subject matters, we teach this is how it all fits together in the scriptures. In all of the subject areas, that's a formal training at the seminary level, at the university level, at the, at the, at the high school level, at the elementary level. That's a formal training. You get a degree at the end of that. You get a diploma at the end of a formal training in discipleship in that way. But there's also much that's happening in the informal training that takes place. Informal training might take place in the way of seminars, in the way of teaching that goes on. You get together as a group in your catechism classes and, and in, your, in, in, the, in the ministries of the church, the various Bible studies. You do There's a lot of informal training that goes on. The preaching of the gospel is an informal way of, of, of you don't get a degree after spending 45 and 50 and 70 years of sitting under the, the, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you are growing. That's an informal teaching that takes place. But what's at the heart of discipleship is what I like to think about as the non-formal teaching that takes place. It doesn't happen in a group setting. 
It happens when you take a cup of coffee and you sit down with a brother and sister or someone who does not know the Lord and you want to bring them to the understanding of the Lord. Non-formal teaching takes place when we train our children around the kitchen table, the dinner table, and talk to them about the Lord. Non-formal teaching takes place when you're sitting in the car going from point A to point B and just talking about the things of the Lord. There's not a schedule, there's not a program, there's not a, a curriculum that you're planning for something. It just happens. I recall that at one point when one of the graduates from Costa Rica who was a student of mine graduated from class and got his bachelor's degree and at his graduation ceremony... He always had to be traveling with me from the outlying areas into the capital city for some of the training that took place, and he would travel with me. We would talk all the time in the car. He mentioned at the graduation, he said, you know, I learned more from Don Eric, Pastor Eric. I learned more from him in the car than I did in the classroom. Well, my first thought might have been, well, I must be a very poor teacher then. But his point was that that non-formal education that was going on when he was simply asking questions and I would, I would give him the answers or if I couldn't come up with the answers, I would say, that's a very good question. Let me get back to you that on later on because that's one I don't even know how to answer right now. That's the non-formal kind of education that takes place in the life of a disciple who is training and helping another disciple to walk in the ways of the Lord. It doesn't happen overnight. You and I, who are disciples of Jesus Christ, continue to grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had a conversation with my father not so long ago. He's 96 years old. And he's reading his scriptures, and he's, and he's telling me, you know, I said, I just learned something new. And he told me what he had just picked up that morning in his devotional reading. And I said, Dad, seriously? For 96 years, well, perhaps the first five years he wasn't reading, but he was hearing it. For 96 years, you have been... Been reading the Bible every day, going through twice the church every Sunday throughout your life, and so on, and you're still learning something, still growing. That's how it works. A disciple continues to grow and grow and grow. And we are being used to help other disciples of Jesus Christ to grow and grow and grow. Following that conviction that Nathaniel had to be able to say, You are Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. You are the Lord of my life. I want to follow you, and I want others to follow you as a part of that. Angels of God ascending and descending on that ladder, which is Jesus Christ, the communication that we have with God our Father, and Jesus Christ being the one who provides for us in the midst of that divine intervention takes place with every conversation that we have with those around us. Think about every conversation you have and ask yourself, is this a godly conversation? Is this conversation helping someone come closer to who Jesus Christ is, helping them along in their walk of discipleship with Jesus Christ, or is it detracting them? That's what we need to be asking ourselves. And then we get the response of Jacob when he realizes all of the magnitude of this presence of God in his life, this ladder, Jesus Christ. We talked about this morning how he took the stone and he placed it as a pillar and he anoints it as a memory. And then he says in verse 17, 
as a response to that, and this is in conclusion. How awesome is this place, the presence of Jesus Christ, helps us to respond in that same way. Wow, this is awesome. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Here in the house of God is where that happens, where we meet God. But it doesn't stop here. It goes beyond the walls as we leave from here on a Sunday afternoon and go on in our week ahead of us into our workplace, into our schools, into our activities, into our playtime, into our hobby time. All of this becomes a training ground here for learning discipleship, to put it into practice, to become who God is calling us to be, that second area of learning I was telling you about, and then to do what God is calling us to do, to put into action what God has called us to do. Jesus Christ is the point of contact for us as his disciples, as he was for Jacob, as he was for Andrew and for Peter, as he was for Philip and as he was for Nathaniel, as he has been for all of his disciples, those who follow him. When Jesus says, when God says to us, I will be your God, the point of contact comes when we respond and say, and we will be your people through Jesus Christ who is the only one who can drive us to the point of being able to say, yes, you are my Savior and my Lord. And it's my trust and my prayer that as a church we will continue on in this road of discipleship and nurturing those who are members of our congregation and bringing the gospel to those who are a part of our community. But that you also will recognize and see that you have a place to grow in discipleship and help others in that same. May God help us through his Holy Spirit with that challenge. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a great encouragement this is for us. Indeed, we do often do say, even as we are gathered here in church, what an awesome place this is, gathered as your saints. But help us also to be able to reflect on that same awesome mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we are, whether we are in the tractor or in the place of business or in our place in the home, wherever we may be, Father, we pray that you would help us always to recognize that you are present with us and then be able to also then say how awesome it is, this place, how awesome it is to have this relationship with you, how awesome it is to be able to grow in my discipleship and my relationship with you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who forgave our sins, and our Lord, who leads us on. In his name we pray. Amen.